When we think about a prophet, a prophet in that day and time did two things. A prophet would told the word of God, gave truth and information, and a prophet told future events, things to come. Now, I just want you to think about that. A prophet didn't just, like you say, here comes a prophet and he's going to give a prophecy. We always think it's something future. But a prophet proclaimed, he said, thus the word of the Lord. He proclaimed truth until he gave the word of God out. And then also they gave future events. We've seen it with Elijah because Elijah told God's word. He talked about the nation sinning. He told them to turn back to God. He said that Ahab had done wrong and all those kind of things. So he told the word of God. But he also told the future as well. He told that there would be no rain. And there was. He talked about who the future leaders are going to be. We saw it back over. He said, you're going to anoint this guy he's going to be the king of this. And he did exactly that. And then he's given a prophecy about Ahab and Jezebel. And that's what we're going to see this morning, what happens. Let me remind you of the prophecies. And this is back in 1 Kings 21, verses 19, 21 and 22, and then 23. In verse 19, he said, as the dogs licked Naboth's blood, Naboth was killed by Jezebel, had him killed to take the vineyard, where the dogs lick Naboth's blood, the dogs will lick Ahab's blood. And you could say, how is that going to happen? I mean, Ahab is the king of Israel. I mean, how is that going to happen? Second thing is, he says he's going to cut off Ahab's offspring, and he does. And his sons will be cut off, and that's the promise. And then the third thing, dogs will eat Jezebel. And that, I mean, that's a horrible thing, and all these things are horrible, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. But these are the prophecies. And when you look at it, you say, are they going to come true? Are they going to come true exactly like God said? Will it be something like you say, well, it was like it, but it wasn't exactly what he said? No, it's going to be exactly what he says because the word of God is alive and powerful and sharpening to his sword, and it never comes back void. It always accomplishes the purpose, and it is exactly what God says. And so that's what's going to happen. Now, here's what's happened. After this event, after he says this to Ahab, Later, there becomes war. There's a a little nation called Syria. Not Assyria, which is a gigantic nation, but Syria. And Syria and Israel are fighting over a particular land. And so the king of the north, and let me put this up so that you can understand this. The king of the north, of course, is Ahab, and the king of the south, the southern empire, is called Jehoshaphat. Now, they're normally not friends at all. They normally don't get along at all. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom do not get along, and sometimes they war with each other. This so happens that the king of the north, Ahab, decides he wants to go fight against the king of Syria. And in order to go fight, he decides to ask if the king of the south, Jehoshaphat, will come with him to help fight the battle. And so he comes to him and he says, would you help me? He says, the king of Israel said to his servants, we got to do this. And so he said to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me? And Jehoshaphat, the king of the south, says, well, my people are your people. And yeah, we'll go fight with you. Now, I don't know why Jehoshaphat wanted to do that. There wasn't any advantage to him as far as I could tell. But Jehoshaphat agrees to go. And then Jehoshaphat's pretty smart. He says, before we go to battle, let's inquire of a prophet or prophets and find out if we're going to win, find out if everything's going to be okay. Look at verse 5 of 1 Kings 22. It says, moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire first for the word of the Lord. So he says, let's inquire first of the word of the Lord to make sure. Then the king of Israel, verse 6, the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, 400 prophets? How many do you need? I mean, you know, if they're a true prophet, how many do you need? I mean, you just need one to say, thus says the Lord. They got 400, and it says, they asked, shall we go up against Ramoth Gilead? Shall we go fight them, or should we not go fight them? 
And they said, go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Now, do you think they got that from God? These are 400 false prophets. What do you think they're saying? Go, king, you're going to win. Because they're not going to say, go, king, you're going to die. They're not going to say that because he'd say, what? what? Put them in jail. You know, put them in prison for saying that. So they, they're always going to say what they think the king wants them to say. So they brought in the 400 prophets, and they said, go fight. Now, Jehoshaphat is from the south, uh, southern kingdom, and he recognizes that these are 400 what we call yes men, that oh, they're going to only say whatever the king wants them to say. So look what his question is in the next verse. Then the king of Israel, uh, uh, verse 7 goes down, but Jehoshaphat said, is there not yet a prophet of the Lord that may we inquire of him? He says, wait a minute, these people aren't really prophets. I mean, if I'm going to risk my life, I'm not going to go based on 400 yes men. You know what I mean? So he said, do you not have a real prophet? A real prophet of God? And he says, yeah, there is one, but I don't like him. Watch, verse 8. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, yeah, there is one, one man by whom we may acquire of the Lord. He actually says, there's one there that will give us the real answer. But I hate him. (laughs) Why? Because he does not prophesy good things concerning me, but evil. Well, why do you think that is, king? It's because you're evil. And why do you think he doesn't give you good news? He gives you bad news. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. But Jehoshaphat said, well, let let not the king say so. Bring him on in. Bring him on in. He says, I hate him because he always gives bad prophecies concerning me. Now, the truth is this. Uh, Sometimes we look at the Bible and we say, I don't want to read that part because it tells me that what I'm doing is wrong and I don't want to read that. So I hate that part, so to speak. I mean, mean, that's almost what we do. And that's what he's really saying. He says, I know that if I bring in Micaiah, he will tell me the truth. Now, the truth may be we're going to win. Who knows? But the truth may be we don't go. I want to go, and I got him talked into going with me. So we might as well go, and I don't want anybody messing it up. But Jehoshaphat says, no, I'm not going to go with these 400 yes men. You've got to tell me what's going on. So they bring in Micaiah. They bring him in. And so notice verse 9. It's pretty fun what you see here. It says, The king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and the king of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting each on his throne, arrayed in their robes, at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. Now that's the capital of the northern empire. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. So here you have two kings sitting in their robes on these little thrones, All the people, all 400 prophets are around saying, go fight, we will win. Go fight, you will win. I mean, they're doing all this, you know, right? And so they're sitting there in their robes, and they they look all powerful and everything. And so they're going to bring in Micaiah. And uh, they even ask one of the prophets, will we win? And, And they say, oh, we'll just defeat them. We'll just go up there. You will prosper. They'll win by a big margin. I mean, it'd be like somebody saying, are we going to win the game? Oh, yeah, we're going to win the game big. I mean, you got it won. You got, you're going to win it by 30 or 40 points. I mean, you don't have to worry. It's going to be a big victory. And so they're all sitting there. And you can almost imagine Jehoshaphat going, I don't know what to think about these people. And he's probably saying to himself, I don't know if I should have even agreed to this. So here comes Micaiah. Verse 13. Then the messenger who went to summon Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Behold, now the words of the prophets are universally favored. He's telling Micaiah, he says, Listen, behold, now the words of the prophets are universally favored to the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them. Speak favorably. He actually says, Listen, I'm fixing to take you up there. All 400 of the other guys have said, Go fight. 
the best thing for you to do is to say, go fight. You know, but look what Micaiah says. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. That I will speak. You know, it's pretty impressive when you look at this. He actually says, whatever God tells me to say, I'm going to say. Now, what we really want, isn't it? And, and, and I think we all come short. But what we really want is to say, whatever God says for me to do, I'm going to do. Regardless of the culture, regardless of whether it's to my advantage or disadvantage, what we really want to do is be people of God, people, men and women who live by Scripture. Now, we fail all the time. I fail all the time. But what I really, I wish I was better, and, and I, I wish you were better. And, but, but the bottom line is, what we say is, we want to be like this. Like Micaiah says, I'm a prophet of God, and I'm only going to say what God tells me to say. We can say we're children of God, and we're going to do and say and live based what the Scripture tells us to say. That would be the best thing that ever. Now, sometimes we all fail and come short of the glory of God. What is so great, and we got to remember this when we fail, is that God's love never changes. He loves us to 100%, whether we're living for him or not, whether we're obedient or not, whether we're faithful or not. He loves us with an everlasting, unconditional, unchanging love. And so we should never think that when we blow it, that God doesn't love us as much or God doesn't care about us as much. His love is to the nth degree always. But what we should do is be like Micaiah and say, I'm just going to do whatever God tells me to do. That's what I want to do. And so here's what happens. So they bring him in. Look at verse 15. When he came to the king, the king said to Micaiah, Shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go up and succeed and the Lord will give it, give you into the, give it into the hand of the king. Now he must have said that with a little smirk on his face. He actually says, Oh yeah, yeah, just go up there. You're going to win big. And you know, Ahab knows that he's never given what? He never tells any what? Any good things. So he looks at him, and the king said to him, How many times must I tell you, speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So he finally says, Okay, I know what you're doing. You're making fun. You can almost see him coming in and going, Oh, yeah, king, uh, listen, you should go win. It's going to be a great victory for you. And you can see the king look at him and say, Okay, look, now just tell me the truth. What did the Lord tell you? What did the Lord tell you? So look at verse 17. So he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each one of them return to his house in peace. What did he just say? He said, look, I saw Israel scattered like a sheep without a shepherd. He said, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be killed. You're going to be killed. And the nation... Your army, your people are going to be like a sheep without a shepherd because they don't have one because you're going to be dead. You're going to be killed. That's what he's actually saying. And, and then the king, I love it, the king of Israel turned to Jehoshaphat and said, Did I not tell you? Did I not tell you he would, prophesize, he would not prophesy good but evil? I told you he would say bad stuff about me. It never does come out good. And so what is Ahab going to do? He's a man of pride. He's a man of pride. And so what does he do? Micaiah said, therefore, this is the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host, and they told him, let's do that. Who'll go up there and do that? And he said, you're supposed to die. And, and he basically says that all these other people were deceiving spirits allowed by God to get him to go fight the battle. 
and be killed. Now, I'm not going to read all those verses and go into all that detail, but the bottom line is this. God, Micaiah says that God sent deceiving spirits into those prophets so they would tell you to go fight so you'd be killed. Basically, God is allowing false prophets to give their message and fool Ahab. Well, of course, Ahab's not exactly fooled. And so he says, then uh, they, they, the Zedekiah, the son, one of the sons came near to Micaiah and hit him on the face. How did the Spirit of the Lord pass from me to you? He's one of the prophets. And he said, how did the Spirit of the Lord pass from me to you? And Micaiah said, behold, you shall see the day that when you enter the inner room and hide yourself. He actually tells this guy who hit him in the face, you're going to be killed. You're going to be killed. You know, I didn't want to be in that room. I'd go, well, we're just going to, we'll see y'all. We're going to go get something to eat and we'll come back later. I mean, what, what would you do if you were going to, because anybody that says anything, he says, okay, you're going to be dying. You're going to be hiding in a room somewhere and they're going to come kill you. And so then the king, look at verse 26. Then the king of Israel said, take Micaiah, return him to Amnon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, put this man in prison and feed him sparingly with bread and water until I return. So he says, okay, you want to make this prophecy? You think I'm going to get killed in the battle? Okay, I'm going to take you and put you in prison and give you bread and water until I come back. Well, you know what Micaiah says. You're not coming back. He probably figures, man, I'm going to be in prison for a long time eating bread and water because he's not coming back. And Micaiah said, if indeed you shall return safely, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, listen, all you people. He said, if, I come, if you come back, then the Lord hasn't spoken through me. And by the way, then Micaiah is saying, if you don't come back, I must be a false prophet because I'm saying what God says and it's not coming true. I must be a false prophet. Wow. You, let me just say this about Micaiah before we go any further. He was faithful to stand for the Lord to proclaim the word of the Lord, even when he knew it would be rejected and he would be harmed. Wow. Here's a man who says, this is what the Lord says. And he said, I'm going to put you in jail for saying that. He said, if you come back, then the Lord didn't speak through me. Are we faithful to stand for the truths of the word of God, to proclaim the truth of the Bible, to proclaim what is right and what is true to a world that might and not only might, but does reject what we say, and possibly consequences. Listen, let's just be honest. There may come a time in this country when if I teach something from here, somebody might say that's hate speech, and I might be told that I can't teach that anymore. What are we going to do when that day comes? Are we going to teach the Bible or not teach the Bible? What if somebody comes and says, you can't really, you can't go over some of these stories, you can't do this. And we say, no, we're going to teach whatever it says. What happens to, what if they arrest me someday for teaching the Bible? Could it happen? Of course it could happen. What if they tell us we're not supposed to meet anymore? What if they tell us we've decided that Christians are, are a non-protected minority who are causing problems in the country because of our views and our values. What are we going to do? Are we going to meet or not meet? Think about this. It may happen. I used to say a long time ago, I'd say, oh, years from now, this could happen. I don't know if it's years from now. So what are we going to do? Are we going to stand strong? 
Oh, we're going to fade away. I watched a lot of people who I thought were strong in the government fade right on away when the pressures came. Of course, you can't trust them anyway. can't trust the government anyway. can't trust that. That's on tape now. See, and they'll say, that guy said you can't trust the government. Of course you can't. You can't trust anything but Jesus Christ. He's the Savior. You can't trust but the Word of God. I don't even trust myself, right? So what's going to happen? Well, let's see what happens. We're going to go quickly. So they went to fight. Verse 29. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up against Ramoth Gilead. And now watch. Watch this. And the king of Israel, who is that? Who's the king of Israel? Ahab. He said to Jehoshaphat, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself, went to battle. Now the king of Israel says, if I don't wear my robes, they won't know I'm the king and so they'll just think I'm a regular old person, so they won't be coming after me. But they would, you know, since I'm going to the battle, they want to kill the king. If you can kill the king of the other side, you win. And so I'm kind of a hunted man, but I'm not even going to wear my robes. But Jehoshaphat, why don't you wear your robes? Jehoshaphat ought to say, are you, what do you think, I'm an idiot or something? But he's going to wear his robes. And so watch what happens. They're going to go to battle, and what's Ahab look like? Regular old guy. He doesn't look like a king. So watch what happens. Now, the king of Aram, had, that's the guy of Syria, had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots. He said, don't fight with great or small, but go after the king of Israel alone. Go get him. So when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, and they said, surely this is the king of Israel. Why? Why did they say that? Because he's got his robes on. I mean, they didn't think that the kings of, of uh, Judah are going to come fight with the king of Israel. So as soon as they see somebody in robes, they assume right then that it's Ahab. And so look what happens. So when the captain of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, surely this is the king of Israel. And they turned aside to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out, Ho, oh, hey, hey, no, I, I ain't Ahab, right? Then the captain of the chariots saw it was not the king of Israel. They stopped from pursuing him. You can just see Jehoshaphat going, whew, that was close. I must have been an idiot wearing these robes. What am I thinking? Now, so we say, wow. So what's going to happen? Notice the next verse. Now, a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel in a joint of armor. Now, in the battle, some guy, he's not even aiming. He just says, Pew. And where does it hit? It hits Ahab right in the joint of his armor. He's looking like a regular old guy. He's probably at the back. And it hits him. And it says it struck him in the armor. He turned to the driver of his chair and said, Turn around. Get me out of the fight. I'm severely wounded. A certain man at random just shot the arrow. And by chance, it would seem the soldier just pulled it and he did Ahab. Do you think this is chance? What was the promise? What was the prophecy? That he'd never come back that he'd be killed. And what's the ultimate prophecy? That they're going to lick, the dogs are going to lick his blood where they lick Naboth's blood. So watch what happens. Turn around, I'm severely wounded. The battle raged that day. The king was propped up in his chariot in front of the Arameans and died that evening. And the blood from the wound ran into the bottom of the chariot. Oh my gracious. Verse 37, so the king died and was brought to Samaria and they buried the king in Samaria and they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood. Now the, the harlots bathed themselves there according to the word of the Lord which he spoke. Blood ran in the chariot, pool of blood. Where they washed the pool, the dogs licked up the blood according to the word of the Lord. 
Listen, do you think, do you think that when there's a truth from the Bible that it's not going to come true? Let me ask you this question. Do you think Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds and take us out? What do you think? You think that? I think it'll come any second, right? Do you think that's not going to happen? I think that's going to happen. Now, whenever it's going to happen, he didn't tell us the time. That's going to happen. Do you think Jesus Christ is going to come to the earth and set up a kingdom and rule for a thousand years? Do you think that's going to happen? Do you think at some time there's going to be a one world government in which a man will come up and rule, come to power and persecute believers on the earth and, and it will last for about seven years? Do you think that's going to happen? I do too. Everything God says comes true. God says that the blood of Ahab will be licked up by the dogs. And that's exactly what happened. Well, what's the other promise? We're going to see the fulfillment. I pressed the button and it didn't work. There it is. We're going to see the fulfillment. By the way, this doesn't happen right then. This is either 10 to 15 years later. Jezebel still thinks she's a queen, even though Ahab is dead. And look what happens. I want you to turn to 2 Kings. Turn over. 2 Kings chapter 9, okay? I want you to see the future. What happens here? We have, we, you know, this is powerful. Second Kings chapter 9, verse 30. A new king has come to power in Israel. His name is Jehu. He rides chariots like a crazy man. They call him, it looks like Jehu is a crazy man riding his chariot. That's what they call him. He's a wild man. He's a king. He kills all kind of people. He is really tough. He stands for truth. He's a good man. Not a, not a, not a, well, let's put it this way. There's not any really good kings in the northern empire. But here he comes. His name is Jehu. And he's coming. And look what it says in verse 30. When Jehu came to Jezreel, that's the northern part of Israel, Jezebel heard of it. She's still alive. And she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out the window. So he's coming into the town. He's coming into the city. And she sees him. So she puts on her makeup. No telling how old she is by now. And she leans out the window as he comes riding in as the king. Remember, she used to be married to a king. And she looks out the window, and look what she says. As Jehu entered the gate, she says, Is it well, Zimri, your master's murderer? She, he, see, Jehu killed a lot of people. Now, she calls him Zimri. What's his name? What's his name? Jehu. Why does she call him Zimri? She calls him Zimri because that means traitor. If you came in the door and I said, hey, Benedict Arnold, what would you say? You're a traitor. She called out the name Zimri because Zimri was known as a traitor. And so as he comes into the city, she says, hey, you traitor, your master's murderer. He looks up in the window and he sees her out there. And he looks and he says, who's on my side? Who? And two of her three officials look down at him. They look down. He said, y'all on my side? You on my side? They went, yeah. And so he said, throw her down. Throw her out the window. So they threw her down, and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. So he rode over with his horse, trampled her under. They threw her out the window. She fell down, hit the side of the wall, blood. I mean, this is a bad thing, but she fell down on the ground, and then he trampled over with his horses. And then he goes to eat. He goes to eat. And so he said, throw her down, and then he goes to eat. And while he's eating, he goes, you know, she was a queen. I, I probably shouldn't have done it that badly. Go get her body, 
and bury her. Okay? Go get her body and bury her. And so, verse 35, they went to bury her, but they found nothing more of her than the palms, than her skull and their feet and the palms of her hand. Why? Because the dogs had eaten her. And, and he goes on to say, in the, prophe- in the prophecy of Jezreel, the dogs will eat the flesh of Jezebel. And that's exactly what happened. He went to find her, and all that was left was her skull and her feet and the palms of her hands. Pretty gross stuff, isn't it? I love the Old Testament. Anyway, so uh, the word of the Lord was fulfilled. The dogs had eaten her, and the word of the Lord was fulfilled, just like God said. Now, we finally got rid of them. We're going to see some more of Elijah because there's going to be another king coming. And Elijah's going to deal with another king. And then Elijah's going to be taken off in the chariot. So we've only got two or three more lessons. And if you want to, you need to let me know. If you want to continue, because after Elijah comes Elisha. And he's another prophet. And he has some amazing stories as well. And if you want a brief study of Elisha, y'all need to tell me, and we'll just continue on. And if you want something else, let me know, and we'll, we'll get another different study. But that's, this is where we are right now. But the, the stories of Elijah and Elisha are pretty amazing in the Scripture. Let me give you some applications. First of all, let's trust the Word of God. It always comes true. Whatever He says, God's Word is alive and it's powerful. It's our only hope. We take the promises and we live them out. So whatever it says comes true. That's what we've got to trust. The second is let's understand the principle of sowing and reaping. And it's there, Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God is not mine. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. We saw that both what Ahab and Jezebel did had consequences. And, and, and some, some, let me just say this, sowing and reaping is both positive and negative. You sow to the flesh, you reap what? What does it say? Corruption. You sow to the spirit, what do you reap? Basically eternal life. That means an eternal life kind of a life. And that's what he's saying. And so the sowing and reaping is both positive and negative. If we do bad things, we can expect that there'll be consequences and discipline because there always is. But if we do good things, we can expect there'll be uh, good things come out of it. If you sow sparingly, you what? Reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. I mean, God is a great God. And and so when we say uh, the principle of sowing and reaping, it's not always bad. Sometimes there are some bad things. Ahab and Jezebel did bad things. The third thing is let's be faithful to share the truth from God's Word. Micaiah said, I can only speak what God told me to speak. We have to be clear. We have to stand for what the Bible says. You know, it, there's, there's, um, there are people who actually say that what we believe is wrong, that we're making it too easy for people to go to heaven. We're telling people that it's just faith in Christ and you're saved forever. And they say there's more to it. You've got to make him Lord of your life. You've got to make a public profession. You've got to walk down an aisle. You've got to get baptized. You've got to keep doing this. You ought to pr- you've got to prove it with good works and all this. And we don't say that. And there are people who say to us, you're not saying the right message. And we say, yeah, we are saying the right message. And we're going to be faithful to share the truths of the Bible. And y'all got to do the same thing because there's going to be people that will challenge what you believe. And you've got to know what you believe and be ready to stand for what we believe. That's why we have like the 412 and the 22 and all those different courses that we teach so that you can take those classes and you can get grounded and you can say, this is what I know, this is what I believe, this is how I stand for it. And, and that's what we got to do. And so if you haven't had a 412 or a 22 in a long time or if you've never had them, you need to take them. You can take the 22 right now and the 412 right now. We just started the semester. You need to be in there. You need to be taking these truths so you can say, I know the basic foundational theological truths from the Bible so I can know what I believe and why I believe it and I can defend what I believe. You've got to do that. And, and if not, you're not going to be prepared for the battle. 
because it's coming and it's going to be a lot worse than we thought it was going to be. So you got to be prepared for the battle.